So Wednesday of this week was a tough day for me. Little Henry and his mom, his Aunt Bridget, were on their way, leaving our place after two months of being together, heading off to California. Our son-in-law's in the military. He's moving from Fort Meade, Baltimore, all the way to the West Coast. So uh, before they pulled off, Henry's in his little car seat. He's all buttoned in, and he says, Grandpa, I'm, I'm going to miss you. Oh, man, that little guy. We just had so much fun fishing together. He was just tugging at my heart. I'm like, oh, keep it together, Mark. Keep it together. And then two hours down the road, we hear this story. Their first rest stop. They, they, they put it in park, and little Henry in the back seat says, we made it to California. Isn't that great? I love it. So, you know, there's all kinds of funny things we've said in connection to road trips and especially when it comes to accents. Have you heard some of the funny things that people have filled out in terms of an accent report that they turned into their insurance agent looking for a little love and compensation? I love these. I started to slow down, but the traffic was more stationary than I thought. My, park, my car was legally parked as it backed into the other vehicle. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. I'd been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and crashed. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. That's my all-time favorite right there. I love it. So here's the deal. It's easy to lose touch with reality. And Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, knows that. And so he wants us to wise up and get real. He wants us to get real with our destiny. He wants us to get real with our humanity. He wants us to get real and catch up with the fact that God is sovereign, God's sovereignty. So he starts by talking about getting real with our destiny. And here the deal is, understand that you're going to die. And knowing that should change the way you live your life. And then he's going to say, and when you have that clear that you're going to die, you have a new perspective on what is important and what is not as important. Like the woman on the Titanic as it was going down. She's boarding the lifeboat. She says to the officer, oh, I forgot something in my room. Can I quick go back? He said, hurry. And so she runs. You know, the ship is already at an angle and she's making her way through the gambling parlor there, right? The casino and this money all over. It's ankle deep on the floor. She finally gets into her stateroom. She brushes aside her diamonds and her precious jewels and she reaches for, get this, three small oranges because her brush with death, the imminence of death, had totally reprioritized her life on what is important, what has value. Her diamonds, her jewelry, all the money on the floor had no value to her as she was loading a life ship. But those three oranges were now precious. So he wants to talk to us about this. Grab your Bibles and let's just start out reading in chapter 7, Verses 1 through 4. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. So he's talking about destiny. He says, you guys, 
You can't live in la-la land. You've got to confront your mortality. You are going to die. You have a divinely decreed appointment with death. And that ought to change the way you live today. You don't know when it's going to be. And here's what's important. It's not your achievements. It's not your, your um, accomplishments. It's not your money. It's something far greater. It's your character. It's your integrity. It's your good name. So he's going to say character matters. It's valuable. It, it's valuable like fine perfume is. And like fine perfume, it emanates from a person. And it graces, most of the time, it graces other people as well. And yet he says character is actually better than that fine perfume. More priceless and, and precious than that. More long-lasting than that. It graces our life and that character that flows out of our integrity of the daily things that we do and don't do each day of our lives. It's the stuff of a legacy that marks and blesses those who know us and those who follow us. And so the wise person believes that actually a funeral is a better teacher than a wedding. For as much as we love a wedding and a party and a wedding dance, we learn and are positioned to learn far more from going to a wake, from talking to a friend who just lost their loved ones. And that's why the house of mourning is the greater teacher than the party house. And that's where our priorities become clear and everything is lined up. And all of a sudden we understand how we're living our life today and, and the, the, the results of that in our reputation and character are just priceless. In fact, Proverbs 22 verse 1 says this, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And all you have to do to have this proverb drive home in your life is to have your name questioned, your reputation questioned, your good name, your character dragged through the muds of slander. And then you go, oh my word. It's devastating. And if it hasn't happened to you, when it does, you're going to go, I always knew that proverb, but now I know it viscerally. This is so hard. So Solomon says, take this to heart. You're going to die. Let that change the way you live. Embrace the struggle. Embrace frustration. Embrace the sad days. Because you know that God will use those to teach you and to form you and to forge his character in you. And that's why we can rejoice when things are hard. Because we know that the testing of our faith produces stuff. Perseverance and perseverance. When it's finished its work, it makes us mature and complete. Not lacking in anything, James says in chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. So take it to heart. Your destiny, my destiny. We have an appointment with death. We don't know when it is. But the only way we can prepare for that is living faithfully with God's help today. It's got to change the way we live today. And so character is everything as we do our life. Is that true? Is that true for us right now? Second, he says, get real with your humanity. Your fail Frail, failed humanity. You're a sinner, he says. And you need a savior. You need God's grace, his mercy, and forgiveness. So he talks about that in verse 20. Here's what he says. Indeed, there is no one on earth, let's go back, no one on earth who is righteous, who is always righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. 
So there's nobody alive. There's nobody who's ever lived except for Jesus Christ, who's always done what is right and who's never done what is wrong, who's lived a more morally perfect life. So in light of that, he says, take it to heart. Take it to heart and be humble enough to understand that you're not there yet. You haven't arrived. You, you need to get better. And so you want to get better and you're actually open to what he talks about in verse 5. It's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. When we're confronting our fail, failed humanity, marked by sin, right? So sin, what is sin? Well, sin is this. It's, it's doing anything and not doing the right things when it comes to loving God with everything that we have and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so he says, look, if you understand who you are and that you actually are a person who acknowledges that before a holy God, I, I don't belong in his presence. I, I'm a sinner. Well, then, man, you're open to the faithful wounds of a friend, as Proverbs puts it. And so we'll, we'll, we'll receive those words of rebuke because we know ultimately as much as they sting and hurt, these words, they cut deep, they heal, they make us stronger. They bring more of Jesus' character in our lives. So the temptation is to listen to the crackle like those dried thorns under the pot of the foolish person who may flatter us, who may lead us astray. But we just remember that stuff is ignited in a minute and then it's gone. But the character stuff, that endures, that emanates heat long, long into the future, blessing other people. So we're in touch with reality. We acknowledge that we are sinners. We acknowledge that there are temptations and we better steer clear of those temptations. Like in verse 7, extortion and corruption. We got to steer clear of those. And, and we note again as we read verse 7, let me just read it for you. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. So here again, the, the wisdom literature keeps going back and reminding us of this. You cannot say you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength if you trash your neighbor. And your neighbor is all the people that God has put us in relationship with and especially the vulnerable. And so he goes on to say this in verses um, 8 through 10. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days, pre-COVID days, better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. So, we understand who we are. We understand that we need God's mercy and grace. We understand that we're not perfect. We understand that we need forgiveness. We understand that we deal with guilt. And so we steer clear of the temptations and the pitfalls, whether it's injustice or corruption, or whether it's laziness or pride or anger, or that easy, come on, the good old days trap. So he says, get real and understand this. The last day of your life is more important than the first day. In fact, I just say, the last day of anything, the last day of your marriage, so much more important than your wedding day. The last day of how you finish that job, so much more important than how you started it. 
the last day of your life, so much more important than your birthday. How we end our lives is everything. It's about finishing, not just starting. And so we got to get real. Patience outshines pride. We got to get real that we can justify and rationalize our angry tirades. But at the end of the day, every time we have that angry outburst, we play the fool. Get real. Living in the past is a dead end. And man, is it easy right now to live in the good old days of, man, do you remember when? Five months ago in January and February when we didn't have to wear masks and we could go up and hug somebody and it was just great. He's saying, listen, in the midst of this day, you receive God's simple gifts. Find happiness in your work. It's a gift from God. Contentment and satisfaction in your life right now. What you have and even what you don't have. A preoccupation with joy. So we need to not only acknowledge this fact, but we need to acknowledge our need for God. And that's what the fear of God is all about. And this is the recurring theme in wisdom literature. Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And that's how the book ends. Fear God, trust him, love him, serve him, see him for who he is. He's holy, you're not. Have this trembling trust in him that, that, that is wrapped in humility. There's this reverent, affectionate, humble obedience before God. So get real. Get real with your destiny. Get real with your humanity. And then he says, get real with God's sovereignty. Catch up with that. Acknowledge his sovereignty and place your life under his loving leadership. Now, when you hear the word sovereignty, it's kind of a theological word. Just see the word sovereign within it. It speaks of a king who rules over a kingdom, the people whose laws are the law of the land. The Bible says that God is the creator and he's the king over all things. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 24, verse 1. So he's, he's asking us to consider who God is and what he's done and what he's doing and how it all fits under this umbrella of his good sovereignty. And this is a doctrine, a teaching in the Bible that the more you catch up with it, it's like, a, oh, that's so good. It doesn't mean that life isn't hard, but when life is hard, it's so good to know that even this is in God's good hands. And there isn't anything that he doesn't know about because he knows all things. There isn't anything that he can't do because he's all powerful. There, there isn't anything that's going to stop him from loving us because nothing can separate us from the love of God. So he says, consider what God has done. Look at verse 13. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. So we've got to catch up with the teaching here and we've got to ask ourselves some questions. Does my understanding, does my theology include these very paradoxical, seemingly incongruous 
realities. The day of the righteous are not always filled with joy and peace. Sometimes it's full of adversity. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. He said to his followers, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. And sometimes we're duped into thinking, man, if I follow God, he knows I'm sold out for him. It's just going to be easy, cheesy, a walk in the park. No, 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 no. Solomon says, life in this world, life under the sun, even for those who trust God, your life could have good times for sure. But don't be surprised when there's hard times and there's bad times. The days of the righteous are not always long. The righteous don't always live three score and ten. I think of my friends, Rich Dominguez, Jeff Perrine, Jonathan Thigpen, Andrew Chung, all in the prime of their lives. Rich Dominguez, orthopedic surgeon, elder in our church back in Wheaton, father of nine kids, driving down to Taylor University to have a talk with his son who just was having a tough time in his life and was struggling. He just wanted to come and help his son out. And he's driving down I-65 south of Chicago down to Indianapolis and his car hits some snow and ice and he gets, loses control, crosses the medium and a semi snuffs his life out. Jonathan Thigpen, ALS, leader in our church, a, a president of a Christian organization. Jeff Perrine, a, a, a non-malignant tumor in his brain that ultimately takes his life. Andrew Chung, another orthopedic surgeon, elder in our church, dies of pancreatic cancer. You don't always live long. Sometimes the people that are doing the worst things live the longest. But God's still in control when you scratch your heads and go, this doesn't make sense. So what's our response? Verses 16 through 18, it kind of catches us by surprise. Do not be over-righteous. Wow. Do not be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God, there it is, will avoid all extremes. So in the midst of a world where God is sovereign, all things are happening and they may not make sense, he says, don't live a life marked by extreme. Don't think that you can be this holier-than-thou, self-righteous person that puts you in a good standing with God. And don't think you can just run away and do whatever you want because God doesn't see it. No, he's sovereign. And you don't get into his presence because you worked your way there. It's all grace and mercy. And your life spinning out of control, doing whatever you want to do, he's sovereign. He's on the throne. He sees it. He'll bring it into account. So put your life under his leadership. We fear him. We fear God when you can't undo what he's done. We fear God when he brings prosperity and when he brings adversity. We trust him. That's fear God. We trust him. Fear God when life doesn't make sense. Trust God in verse 21 and 22 when people talk about you. Look at 21 and 22. This is really helpful because this is going on for some of us right now. Do not pay attention to every word people say or you may hear your servant cursing you. If you're in leadership, they're talking about you because you're in leadership. So don't have a pity party about that except the fact that people are going to talk about you whether you're a leader or not a leader. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. So when you fear God, your eyes are on God. When you fear God, you're looking for his approval. And you're not letting these people and all their criticism and whatever it is they're saying to drag you down and get in your headspace. So fear God. 
our destiny, our humanity. Those issues are all resolved through this whole matter of God's sovereignty. So before we get into that, just look at verses 23 through 25. Because he's, he's been on this quest, right? He's looking for wisdom. He's looking for the meaning and purpose of life. And he says this in 23 through 25. All this I tested by wisdom. And I said, I am determined to be wise. But this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, to search out wisdom and the scheme of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. And what he's saying is, look, guys, I'm the wisest guy who's ever lived. And if I can't figure it out, there's going to be a lot of mystery and you're not going to be able to figure it out. But this whole teaching and belief that God is sovereign and that he's a loving God who made us and loves us and is control of all things, that is going to really... It is going to make the day and it is going to rule the day and it's going to rule peace in our hearts. So Isaiah 55 says this. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. So God, God moves in a mysterious way. We don't know the secret things that belong to God. There are things that are going on in your life right now that don't make any sense. But this whole matter of trusting that he's in control and that he's a good God and he can take even the evil things that people do, like Joseph said, what he said of his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God means it for good. It's his sovereignty over all things in your life right now that can make the huge difference in your life. And it's God's sovereign plan that all culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ that, that settles the issue of our destiny and our final appointment with death and our humanity and the fact that we are sinners standing before a holy God and have no standing apart from God's mercy. And it's his sovereign plan in Christ that is everything. And it's sweet. And we understand that. And so right now, the things that aren't making sense in your life, right now, the stuff that you're struggling in your life, where you actually are trying to move forward in good ways of integrity and character, and you go one step and two steps back, and you're struggling, you just go back to the cross. Because this is where it's all resolved. God's sovereign plan. Jesus came not to serve to, to uh, be served, but to serve, Mark 10, 45, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus came, and when he came, he addressed this whole issue of death. How did he do it? By taking on our flesh and by dying in our place. And when he died in our place, he took on our sin. So he dealt with our humanity and our destiny. And it was all God's appointed plan. I love this in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. The crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross was God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So right here, you see human responsibility, God's sovereignty. We're responsible. They are responsible for Jesus' death. We are too because of our sin. And yet it was all God's deliberate plan. And so we embrace that. That Jesus died to put an end to death. Because he rose from the dead. He conquered death. Jesus died to forgive our sins. So that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. And so embrace his sovereignty. As you wrestle with your destiny 
and your frail and failed humanity. Embrace God's sovereign purposes for you that are all beautifully being woven together through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So Lord, grant us faith to believe that because right now for some people, it's really hard for them to believe that you're in control. It's really hard for them to believe that they could even rejoice at a time like this and that you could bring something good out of it. Lord, remind them of the cross, your great love for them. Jesus, remind them of your outstretched arms on the cross that call today, come to me. All you are weary and and heavy with a load of cares, and I'll give you rest. I just pray that people would come and trust you for the first time in their life. They'd come back to you, Lord, as maybe we're facing death, or maybe we've just been confronted with the fact that we're chasing all the wrong things, and our reputation, our character doesn't mean anything to us, and we've lost our way. We think that we can work our way to you, And we forget how holy you are and and how morally failed we are. Lord, have mercy on us. Strengthen us by your grace for your honor that we might be people that help people find their destiny. Find out what it means to be truly human as you do a greater work in their lives. That together we would live under your role, your rule, and please you and how we live our lives and so be pleasing to a world that you made and love and desperately needs you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.